Good morning. We welcome you to Nineveh Christian Church today. If you are uh, visiting today, maybe today's your first Sunday with us. We welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Um, if, if you are a visitor, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would find one of the uh, visitor cards in one of the chairs in the row in front of you, if you'll fill that out sometime during the service and take that back uh, to one of the attendants at the Welcome Center desk as you leave today, we've got a gift, a first-time visitor gift we'd like to give you uh, today. It's got some church information. It's got some things in it that uh, uh, you might want to know about uh, coming uh, things that are coming up, upcoming events, uh, ways to get plugged in, things like that. So check that out if you're visiting today. Uh, I, I feel a little bit like a, a visitor today. My family and I went on vacation this past week. Um, my family and I, I, I can't just say it that way, we went, my parents and all of their kids and grandkids, 17 of us all together to Disney World in Florida this past week. Some of you are groaning. Some of you are, um, yeah, yeah, some, the one guy's crying over here. Um, <laughs> now, we had a good time. Uh, the majority of us had not been to Disney World before. None of the grandkids had been to Disney World before. Needless to say, if you've been to Disney World, you, can, you, you could probably have seen this coming. My two-year-old could not really... Uh, she wasn't made for a full day of Disney World, so um, my wonderfully kind parents decided that after about lunchtime each day, they would come and get the littlest grandkids, and they would go take them back uh, for a nap, and that would leave Emmy and I the chance to um, explore the park, you know, as adults, to basically the rest of the day. We could do the kids' stuff in the morning, then we could do whatever we thought we would want to go see. So Tuesday was one of those days. Tuesday, let me tell you about what happened on Tuesday. Tuesday, uh, we decided to go to Hollywood Studios. That's the, the park that's got all the movie stuff, right? It's got the Indiana Jones stuff. It's got, their newest attraction is the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Land. Well, I can't lie that I was a little excited about seeing Star Wars land. So we've had a, a, a quiet, peaceful lunch. We dropped Kana off. We ate lunch. We decide, let's go toward Star Wars part of the park. Well, I'm waiting on Emmy. She's off looking at something, and I'm by myself just waiting, and I start to hear something. And I'm, I'm listening, and it's getting closer, and it's getting louder, and I can tell what it is. It's shouting. And the shouting, I can eventually make it out, and it's a group that is shouting this over and over again. Here we come. Here come the Jedi. Here we come. Here come the Jedi. Here we come. Here come the Jedi. And I start to see it's a group of kids all dressed in their Jedi robes and all following like they're just as scared as they can be. And all in line walking toward this Jedi temple. It's supposed to look like a Jedi temple that's down in front of a stage in front of where we're at. And then I start to see something else. I notice that in this crowd is my niece and nephew. That's Pia. She's seven on the left. And that's Joe. He's 10 
on the right. And so I follow this crowd because I realize I know some of these kids, and I go to see what's going on and what are they doing. Turns out this Jedi training experience that they have signed up for is something that they had to get early to the park to, sign up early for, and they still got like a 130 spot, something like that. Kids all day were signing up for the next available spot for this Jedi training experience, right? I, I mean, if I was not too big, I probably would have signed up for the Jedi training experience. Can you imagine me standing beside P.N. in that big robe, you know? No. Um, that's what they'd signed up for. At the end of the class, at the end of this demonstration, it was pretty cool. They got to go lightsaber to lightsaber with Kylo Ren from the new movie. Show the, the next one. They're both fighting with Kylo Ren there. That's the very last part of what they did. You know what they did for the majority of this 30-minute spot? They stood there, and they listened, and they took instructions, and they trained, and they prepared for battle. They've signed up for this 30-minute time slot to be Jedis, and basically all but like five or ten minutes of it is training for this short little battle that comes at the end. Very little battle. Majority of it was training. Needless to say, Joe and Pia, they enjoyed every moment of it. And they talked about it all the way back to where we stayed. There's a lot of times in life where we're ready for the battle. Or, well, let me say, we think we're ready for the battle. But most of life is preparing for the battle. That's what we're going to see in Joshua chapter 5 today. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to kind of camp out. That's, it's ironic because that's where Israel is also camped out in Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to see God doing something big that at first doesn't seem so big in Joshua chapter 5. If you've got your uh, bulletins, you can see the fill in the blanks. We're going to start our notes today. The very first line is just what we've already said. In Joshua chapter 5, the Israelites are preparing for battle. So there is a battle coming, and it's coming in Joshua chapter 6. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Joshua and the Israelites are about to, to take on the largest city in all the land of Canaan, the city of Jericho. And it was also the strongest city in the land, a fortified city with huge walls surrounding the entire city. But first, before they fight, 
God is going to prepare Israel for this battle. That's what we'll study today in Joshua chapter 5. So let's look. Let's start with Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Excuse me. Now, this is an interesting part for me. It says in verse 1 that all the land is scared to death of the Israelites. They heard about what happened at the Jordan River. We'll get to that later. They heard about all the things that God has done for these people, and they are terrified. They've given up faith on account of the Israelites. And yet in that moment, when I would be thinking, all right, they are scared to death of us. Let's go in, guns blazing. That's not what they do at all. God says, circumcise your men, Joshua. Verses 4 through 8 of chapter 5 tell us why. Why had this not been done before? It says, now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. In Joshua 5, verses 10 through 12, we see one more thing is happening in this camp other than circumcision. Look at what it is. 10 through 12. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So we're going to see what is happening in Joshua chapter 5. We're going to kind of unpack what we just read about what God is doing with Israel in Joshua chapter 5. And more importantly, why is he doing this in Joshua chapter 5? But first, let's take a moment to look at what happens before and what's going to happen afterwards. It's in your notes as we continue on. In the previous story, that is Joshua chapters 3 and 4, God had led Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land. 
God has done a big miraculous thing in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4 that has allowed them to cross into the promised land that God had sworn on oath to give them. Let's look for, at a little bit of that in Joshua 3 verses 14 through 17. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan while the water flowing down to the sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stepped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed over, had completed the crossing on dry ground. Joshua at this point is ushering in a brand new era in Israelite history. This is an era where Israel will finally possess the land that God has promised, the land of Canaan, which God had promised generations ago to Abraham. That generation is gone. The generation that rebelled, the generation that disobeyed, that generation is gone, and now a new generation has risen up in its place that will receive the promise. This generation will go into the land of Israel. The old generation lived on manna provided by God as they traveled in the wilderness. Nope, we read that before. No more manna. Now they're going to eat their own food from their own land. And God brought them into the promised land through a great miracle. As the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped their feet into the Jordan River, it stopped flowing, and the waters, this is the part that my mind just doesn't comprehend. It, not that it stopped flowing, but that the water where it stopped just started stacking up and piled up into a big heap, allowing all of Israel to pass over into their promised land on dry ground. You see, all along, God has been preparing his people for what's to come. All along, they may not see it, we may not always see it, but all along, God is preparing his people for what's to come. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 6. This is before they ever broke camp in the wilderness. This is before they ever got up and got ready to go into the promised land. Look at what he says. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people, Joshua, to inherit the land that I swore their ancestors to give them. God's telling them the outcome before it ever happens. God's telling them the outcome before they ever go off marching toward the promised land. This is what's going to happen. You're going to inherit the promised land. In their next encounter, so that's what happens before Joshua chapter 5. In their next encounter, your notes say, in the promised land, the Israelites will conquer the city of Jericho. 
Look at Joshua 6 and what it says about Jericho. Verse 1 says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one came out. Well, reverse that. No one went out and no one came in. Look at what verses 15 and 16 of chapter 6 say. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. And then verse 20 says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. You see, on both sides of Joshua chapter 5, God's doing a miraculous thing. God is leading them. God is championing the people, leading them into the promised land through miracles on either side. You've got crossing the Jordan River like it's not even a river, like it's just dry ground. And then you've got defeating the biggest city in the land by basically blowing horns and shouting. And yet in the middle of those two miraculous only God could do this event. There's this chapter 5 where all they do is sit in the camp and wait. In Joshua chapter 5, that's the next line, God prepares the people for battle in two ways. He's preparing the people for battle in two ways. You've already seen what those two ways are. Number one is circumcision. <clears throat> Look again at chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this obviously wasn't the first time. This was a Jewish custom already to this point. But none of these guys had ever done it before. None of this generation had been circumcised. Only Joshua and Caleb, who were from the previous generation, even existed from, from before. But God had prescribed circumcision for his covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. Look at Genesis 17, 9 through 13. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household, or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born into your house or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. One of the things that they do in the desert, that many of the men probably wish they hadn't stopped in the desert to do, the men are circumcised. What's number two? They celebrate 
the Passover. Number two, God gives them the Passover. Look at Joshua chapter 5 verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. You see, with chapter 3 and the water standing up and chapter 6 and the, the city falling down, we might look at chapter 5 and just pass it by like it's not important. But it's important. In fact, you might even miss this verse 10 that says, oh, and by the way, they celebrated Passover while they were camped in the desert. But it was very important to the people of God. Look at when God establishes the Passover with Israel in Exodus chapter 12. This is just after they've crossed the Red Sea. This is just after God has delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Chapter 12 of Exodus verses 1 through 3 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. He goes on to explain more about Passover in verses 5 through 11. The animals you choose must be year-old males without any defect, and you may take them from sheep's, sheep or from goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must swap slaughter them, excuse me, at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head and the legs and the internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. The Passover of God was to be observed on the 14th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar. And Joshua chapter 4 verse 19 tells us what day the Israelites crossed into the, to the uh, promised land by the Jordan River. You want to guess what time of year it was that they crossed over into the promised land? Look at what it says. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. So, it's the first month They've been 40 years, by the way, in the wilderness wandering. All of a sudden, it's the first month, and on the 10th day, they cross the Jordan River, and they camp at Gilgal, just three or four days before the Passover. In fact, the 10th day is that day that they were supposed to go and gather the lamb and prepare it, start preparing it for Passover. You think in, all of this was just coincidence that it just so happened at, at this time? Because I don't. You think it's just a, a coincidence that why, why weren't these guys circumcised? You think they just forgot because nobody had ever done it before, right? Because these guys were supposed to have been circumcised in eight days. 
This, it's been 40 years since anybody has performed circumcisions. You think it's just happenstance that all this stuff, that, that as soon as they're in the land, and as soon as they're ready to go, and Israel's just, just itching to go into the land, you think it's just a mistake that God camps them in the desert to observe these two Jewish rituals. I don't think it's a mistake. The question is why? On either side, God's about to perform a great big miracle. Why does he stop while they're camped in the desert at the plains of Jericho and do these things? Here's the answer. So they would remember. Why does God require the Israelites when they could be going into their their new home to observe these two Jewish rituals so they would remember? Church, God does this all the time in Scripture. All the time. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. God is all the time giving us things by which to remember Him. Did you read your communion Scripture today? From 1 Corinthians 11, what did it say? Paul, Paul says, I'm passing this on to you because Jesus passed it on to me. And he said, when he took the bread, when he took the, the wine, he said, do this, what, church? In remembrance of me. You and I pass it down the line and just take it without thinking and and. And then wonder if we got communion or not. You know, some, some mornings our heads are everywhere. And Jesus says, this is a thing I've given you to remember me. That's what God is doing in Joshua chapter 5. God is allowing the people of Israel to take a breath. To take a moment before they get up and go and face what they're about to face and remember. And church, today, some of you need that very thing very badly. Before you get up and go out and fight that next battle, before you get up and go out and face that next thing that you're going to face, some of you need to remember. That's why we're in Joshua chapter 5 today. The question is, what did God want them to remember? There's three things here that we're going to look at today. Number one, he desired for them to remember their commitment to God. Their commitment to God. Genesis 17, 11 reminds us why circumcision was part of the God's plan for Israel in the in the first place. Look at what it says. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Men, don't you think that Abraham had wished that he had given him an easier sign? Like a card that you just carry in your wallet, right? And uh, this is it. 
This is a sign of the covenant between me and God. No, this was a very personal, very physical sign that God instituted among every Israelite man. Why? So that they would remember who they belonged to. So that they would remember in their body the commitment that they had to God as Israelite men. See, we don't have those physical signs today. We have the Holy Spirit that is the mark of the covenant. And yet sometimes we forget. Sometimes we need a tattoo. Sometimes we need something physical. Sometimes maybe we would do better with a mark that we could look at that would say, don't forget. How are you forgetting that you committed your life to Christ? How is it that we're living our days and our nights and, and, and we're, we're doing everything else and we're forgetting the commitment that we've made that has changed our lives? You see, God didn't want Israel to go in to Jericho without remembering whose they were, without remembering the commitment that they had made to God. What's number two? He wanted them to remember that God's promises are conditional upon their obedience. Now, God, from the very beginning, has, has said, you're going to inherit the promised land. This generation is going to see the promised land. But it wasn't just a blank check. It wasn't without strings. Look at what he says in Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be what? Prosperous and successful. God doesn't just give them the promised land because he promised it. God gives them the promised land because he's entered into a covenant with Israel. Their dads and moms didn't get it because they didn't keep their covenant. And that's why as they're about to go in, they camp in Gilgal and God gives them a moment to remember. Because obedience was key to receiving the blessings of God. He said, keep this book of the law on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Church, you and I have the same thing today. Meditate on the Word of God. Day and night. You know why? Why are we supposed to do that? Because then we'll be walking in the path that God has called us to walk in Jesus Christ. Then we will be not living for ourselves, but living for the one who's given us life. It's pretty easy, right? This is God's word. We are God's people. Well, then God's word, God's people should have God's word, should know God's word. It just makes sense, but 
but we forget because we get busy because we just let other things pile up and we and we forget and instead we end up distracted by so many things that we forget that what God wants from his people is obedience he's going to take care of the other stuff but the part he requires from us is to know his word so that we can obey his word and live it out in our lives. Do you need a reminder today? Is that, the, is that what you need to remember? Maybe it's this last one, number three. And this is the big one that we're going to spend most of our time on before we close. He wanted them to remember that God was going before them. They're camped at Gilgal, just right across from Jericho where they're going to go in and conquer this city. And God stops them and plants them right there. Why? Because he wanted them to remember that he was going before them. Look at Joshua 3 verses 10 through 11. This is right as Joshua is instructing the people about what they're going to do and go toward the Jordan River, that whole water standing still thing. Look at what he says, 10 and 11. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly do what? Drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, all those guys. This is how you will know. He said, this is how you will know that God will drive these peoples out. And then verse 11, he says, see, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. God was leading his people. You know, God did not say, this is the land I promised. This is the land you've got. You're here. Enjoy yourselves. No, God said, I will go ahead of you to lead you. God was going before them. How in the world do you think the Israelite people, as strong as they may or may not be, as scared as the people in that city might be, how are they going to defeat a fortified city with barricaded walls with just a bunch of trumpets? You think this is all about some, you know, weak, weak ground, and if you walk around the city long enough, enough times, and then you shout real loud, the walls, you know, it was just poor construction? No. This is God's proof to them that He is the one going ahead of them. He is the one fighting their battles. He'd been telling them this all along. In fact, Moses tried to tell this to the previous generation. This was after they had rejected God's promise of the promised land. Look at Deuteronomy 1, 29 through 30. Then I said to you, this is God actually telling them, then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. 
This was always God's plan. The people wouldn't have to fend for themselves. God would fight for them. You know, this is also the reason that God instituted the Passover. Look at what he says in Exodus 12, verses 24 through 27. Obey the instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the passive. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. So this is why God gave them the Passover, so that every year they would remember what God had done. Every year they would remember that God had gone ahead of them to drive them out of Egypt. That it wasn't Moses and Aaron leading the people out of Egypt. No offense, Moses and Aaron were rather ill-equipped to do such a thing. God went ahead of them, parted the sea, and led them out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And what's cool is God gives them a way every year to remember that sacrifice. And it even says, and your kids are going to ask you about this. And when your kids say, Dad, why do we always every year have to go out and get a lamb? And why does it have to be the firstborn? And why can't we put any of the food in the refrigerator afterwards? And why do we have to burn everything up? And God says, then you have a prime opportunity to tell your kids what God did for you. But sometimes we forget. Now I'm going to give you a spoiler that I didn't give first service. This is the part where I cried last time, so just bear with me. A little over a week ago, before our Disney vacation, like two days before we're supposed to leave, we went to the doctor's office, just me and my daughter. Kana was sick. She's been dealing with asthma for a few months, and she had had a particularly rough night. We were hoping that it wasn't anything worse. And so I was discouraged. Kana was feeling bad. It was early in the morning. She was fussy. And so she asked Daddy if she can watch, uh, look at pictures on Daddy's phone. At that point, I'm happy just to sit there with her in my lap. This is easy. I don't even give much thought to it. But I know Kana likes looking at pictures of Cana when she was a baby. So I do one of these, right? I swipe all the way down to where I can see old pictures. And one swipe of my phone, and guess where it lands? On pictures of July 2017. When my now two-year-old daughter was, still didn't weigh four pounds and was on tubes in the NICU at Frankfurt Hospital. And just like they're doing now, my eyes filled with tears in the doctor's office. Not because I was discouraged, but because I had been reminded of the faithfulness of our God. 
And I knew that God had brought us through bigger things than what turned out to be a head cold. And he was still in control of this and every situation that we would face. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes I forget. But God has given us his word so that we will remember what he has done. And church today, maybe like me, you need that moment Before you go on to what's next, before you jump into the next place to serve or the next thing that you're doing or the next, what what can I be busy doing? Maybe you just need a moment to sit and to remember the faithfulness of God. And to remember that it's really not you that's fighting your battles in the first place. I'm going to close with one last passage of Scripture. It's the tail end of of Joshua chapter 5. It's probably the pivotal moment of Joshua chapter 5. It's probably the pivotal moment of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5 verses 13 through 15 says this. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as a commander of of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, "What what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the army of the Lord replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua, in this moment, understandably so, as he's preparing for battle, he sees this man armed. He wants to know what we would want to know. Which, which group are you a part of? Are you for us? Are you for them? Should I draw my sword or not? Interestingly enough, his answer was neither. But that this man had come now as the commander of the army of the Lord People spend a lot of time in this passage wondering who this guy was, right? Was it a manifestation of God himself? Was this a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ? Was it an angel? Was it an archangel, a regular angel? Who knows? But in doing that, sometimes we miss who he says that he is. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. You see, I think that's enough. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. Why? Because Joshua is worried about how they're going to fight a city that is fortified. Because Joshua is wondering what is going to happen when his men try to obey these Frankly, ridiculous sounding instructions. And guess what? In the middle of that worry, in the middle of a situation that seems too big, God reminds him, you're not the one in charge. I said I would fight this battle. And there's the army commander himself.
How did those walls fall after just a bunch of marching and trumpets and shouting? Because God's army was in place to do whatever it took to do what God said he was going to do. I'm going to ask Corey and the band to come out for invitation. As they do, I want to encourage you today, church. Because maybe you're here in this moment because that's exactly what you need. Because you need to take a breath, to take a moment, and remember. I'm here to encourage you today, church, to not let your circumstance... Whatever it is you're facing in your marriage, in your work life, in your, in your personal life, in, in whatever it is, don't let your circumstance, whatever is ahead of you, whatever medically or financially you're facing, whatever seems too big or too impossible, don't let your circumstance take your eyes off the one who wants to fight your battles. Take a moment today and remember who he is. Just take a breath and remember he's bigger than you and me. Remember the commitment that you made to him today. Remember that it involves your obedience, your faithfulness to receive the promises of God. And church, Remember the faithfulness of our God, the God who desires to go before us and fight our battles. Church, don't let whatever you're facing cause you to miss that God's already fought this fight. In fact, that's why he sent Christ Jesus. Our perfect sacrifice by his precious blood. Guess what God did with Jesus' blood? He won the battle. He defeated death. He defeated evil. He gave us victory. That battle's already won. And guess what? God still wants to go ahead of you in your life. God still desires to lead you and to be the one to fight in front of you. Church, there's no reason that our swords should be drawn. I'm not tough enough to, to win, but I've got the Lord of all the earth who fights for me. And today, maybe, maybe that's what we need to remember. As the invitation plays today, maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ. And today to you, I say, this promise is not yours. But that same God desires to fight your battles too. If you're not in Christ, that's exactly what he came for. He desires to give his life. He desires for you to accept him so that he can fight your battles so that you can know that victory. And today, if we're in Christ, if we've been marching around for years and years, then today, church, take a moment and remember. It's not about us. It's not about why we come. It's not about what we do. It's about the God who 
fought the battle and won. It's about the only God, about the only one who could do such a thing. Jesus says over and over again to his disciples, these things are impossible for you. Not with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to happen because it's impossible for me. But today, just remember, whatever you're facing, God's bigger than that. And whatever the outcome, God loves you. Maybe today, that's the invitation, is to remember. The invitation is open as we stand and as we sing. 